Every leader of every healthcare employer is the workforce issue. I mean, the pandemic has just wreaked havoc on their workforce. Um, so I, I think it's a good time uh, for them to actually employ a bunch of the sort of the learnings that have accumulated along the way. And I feel so fortunate. And this was this was my purpose. You know, if, if you can, if you're able to repeat repeatedly find success in solving a problem, then could you actually decode it for, for, for others? And I find myself in this stage of life where I want to decode it for others so that others can take advantage of the playbook. And so in healthcare right now, everybody's wrestling with the workforce issue. And, um, you know, my question to myself is also, how do you magnify impact, right? How do you enable others to do it as well? I'm Tracy Lovejoy. And I'm Shannon Lucas. We are the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change around the world. This is our podcast, Move, Move Fast, Fast, Break Shit, Shit Burnout, where we highlight catalysts that are creating amazing change in the world. In that area, we are excited to have time today with Von Tone Quinlivan, one of the catalysts featured in our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout. Vaughn is the CEO of Futura Health, which improves the health and wealth of communities by growing the largest network of credentialed allied healthcare workers in the nation in the US. She's also the author of the recently published and best-selling book, Workforce Rx. She was a guest on our first podcast in 2020, and we are so excited to catch up with her today and hear what she's been working on. Thank you for being here with us, Vaughn. So glad to regroup with both you uh, you and uh, Shannon. Yeah. So we'd love to kick off by hearing how you relate to the word catalyst. You know, um, Tracy, I've always thought of myself as a change maker or, or someone who um, at least aspires to, to, to make change. And I think uh, more recently, the fact that I've been able to have repeated success, getting the change done, and then with writing the book, it's being able to decode it for others. Uh, I, I think I've gotten to a stage where I feel really and proud about that skill set. Yeah. And so I'm I'm glad to be called a catalyst. And we're delighted to have you in the tribe. It is pure joy. And I have to say that we love that your book uh, URL is mastercatalyst.org. So people should check it out. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for the shout out. So when we last connected, you had taken this position as CEO, you've been in your first year. And so we'd love to start with an update. What has been happening with you and Futura and what kind of problems are you tackling today? So bring us up to date. Well, Tracy and Shannon, I, I think I, I shared last time that I had gone from uh, being executive vice chancellor of the largest system of higher education, which was the California Community Colleges growing uh, revenues, uh, public investments in workforce programs from 100 million to over a billion. And then it was a bit of a, a, a leap of faith to take on the CEO road, uh, role and form a new organization to tackle how, how do we grow the next generation of healthcare workers, allied healthcare workers on the front line of, of healthcare. Um, and so we launched three months before the pandemic. Um, and I want, I want to report that at the end of the, our first year, even with the pandemic, we were actually able to hit our goal. So go from zero students served to 1,500 uh, adults, very diverse adults uh, that we put onto Amazing. healthcare credentials. And, and as you know, healthcare is highly credentialed. Um, so since then, 
um, since that moment in time, you know, we shared with the board, oh, we, we were able to make it and, and, and we were hoping they'd give us an incremental, uh, you know, goal, but no, they said, well, let's just over double this goal. And so the next year they set a goal of 3,500 and I'm going to just play it forward a little bit so that, that there's no, um, our, our, your audience doesn't have to guess. Uh, we ended up hitting that goal too. So uh, by the end of the, the uh, last year, so now in our second year of, in our first and second year of life, we went from serving zero to 5,000 diverse adults. And the context of this is even more significant because it's not a, a regular period of time for higher education. Across the board, there's been a 15% decline in uh, participation in community colleges. And usually when you have a downturn, adults just flood into the community college system because it's the lowest cost. And this go round, they're just shying away from higher education. So the fact that we're able to bring adults back in is very significant, especially with the diversity that we have. So it's for, for me, it's been really a design question of like, how do you design for scale, to serve for scale. I mean, are you thinking like University of Santa Clara? My goodness, they're like at the five to 7,000 students a year. So you're talking about a big ramp on scale. Um, inclusivity, I mean, we're still talking about 76% diverse uh, adults, right? And um, we just broke 51% uh, bilingual. So which means that these care providers will be reflective of the communities they serve, which improves health outcomes. And then the last one, you know, scale inclusivity, but the last one is really agility because, uh, you know, when you're working with people and higher education, that can all be, you know, it takes time, right? So could we actually move as fast as the pandemic or I say move it at the speed of need? Um, and so, you know, that, that's been our, our journey to see if we could design for scale, inclusivity and agility. I feel like there should be a book that you know, kind of comes from the pandemic of moving at the speed of need. And I feel like it's only catalysts in the world that really are, are heeding that call and able to live up to it. Thank you, that was, that, just that was a gift. And congratulations on the just crazy amazing success that you all have, have been driving toward. Those numbers of inclusivity and just the sheer numbers are so impressive. Well, Tracy and, and Shannon, I mean, it wasn't even a linear road because just like the first year, you know, three months after launch, the pandemic hit and our board said, can you help out on the front line? And we pivoted and actually rolled out a different program that where we had to hit a three week window and ended serving 4,000 adults in 20 states with that training to get them ready for the search. Well, year two, a similar pivot happened even while we were doing our bread and butter. And that pivot was the mass vaccination campaign. So we had the board member, Kaiser Permanente, come to us and say, you know, we're gonna roll out 11 mass vaccination site. We're not sure if Futuro Health has any role, but let's talk. So what I proposed in that moment in time, because we were actually prepared, we had been looking at this issue where the next generation of healthcare workers could not get time, what they call clinical time, practicing with real patients. And that's part of the requirement to get the licensure, right? So you're really just stopping a whole generation from, uh, you know, because everybody uh, couldn't be in, in direct contact. So because we were, we were tracking all those issues, when that conversation came, I pitched to Kaiser Permanente and said, 
why don't you let us mobilize the colleges that are in allied health and nursing around that mass vaccination site and see if the students and their faculty would like to work at Moscone Center in San Francisco, for example, delivering the shots of vaccination, and then um, they could get the clinical hours. Kaiser loved that idea because, because it was a win-win-win for, for, for the student, for the education institution, for Kaiser. And so we ended up, uh, that was a massive effort, but we ended up delivering over 25,000 staffing hours. Uh, and that was all within like February, we started working March, it was March and April, fully deployed. And all those students were able to get their, um, their time with patients. So the pa patient, we also had the accessibility pod at Moscone, the whole floor. And so, um, you know, the, 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 those that needed a little extra help really just enjoyed spending time with the students. I'm so struck by so much, but, but something that's really loud for me right now as I hear this, this really powerful story. Shannon and I talk about that catalysts are always setting new visions, right, of how we see the world can be better. And we talk about how catalysts are always taking in information and are, are iterating because of that new information. It's all part of the same cycle, really. And what I'm hearing is that you had a vision and as new information, like the challenges presented with COVID and then the opportunity that came in with Kaiser, you were able to so quickly take that vision and build on it and iterate and grow in the moment. Yes, and, and, and it was an operational challenge too because it, it wasn't as if our day job was forgiven. Like our goal was still to hit 3,500 even as we pivoted the organization. So one of the things, one of the strategies we developed was rather than redeploy everybody, like everybody refocuses onto the mass vaccination, we actually took one leader who was the best position to lead that campaign. And we built a whole temporary team around that person. And so, so we left uh, you know, the core team to spend time on the 3,500. And then we had a, a side team. Um, I spent time with them in order to make them successful. So it was a, a really interesting um, playbook in terms of operating, right? How do, how do you do agility while still doing your core focus? Yeah. And so bring us up to present day. What kind of, of challenges are you digging into right now? Well, um, you know, the, 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 there's really some, some interesting things that came our, our way as a result of good execution. And I think this is always a challenge for catalysts, right? We, we have a lot of ideas, but how do we actually take it uh, to the end? And the, the beauty and the power when you actually execute well is that then, then others start coming to you. So we had this very novel situation where uh, Stanford uh, came to us and also N Nissan uh, came and they were looking at this question of mobility, right? The future of mobility. And because I was in the healthcare space, I began to marry ideas and say, okay, what about healthcare and mobility? Because one thing we observed during the pandemic was that infrastructure was a real issue. So if you had spotty Wi-Fi in your home, not only did you have trouble accessing education, but you couldn't do telehealth, which went through the roof over the pandemic, right? So unequal infrastructure, how would you solve that? And then the other part was um, uh, many uh, my, uh, underserved uh, areas 
you have multiple families living under the same roof. So privacy was an issue. So let's say you're having mental health or you need to talk to therapists. It's very uncomfortable to have that conversation with all your other relatives around. So when I, you start to, you know, when I was starting to marry ideas, it's like, how would mobility and healthcare come together? And could the use of a car actually equalize that access? Could it be an, an augmented infrastructure for healthcare, right? If in the future, we're not using the car for driving, the car actually can serve a different purpose. And so could the car be deployed to Tracy's and Shannon's house uh, or your parents' house, for example, in order to provide that telehealth visit and, equal, and so that you don't have to worry about the Wi-Fi access or that you could have your call with your therapist or, or do your AR, VR therapy simulation, um, your virtual reality uh, simulation um, in, in the privacy of the car. And it brings up all these different ideas. So anyway, that's a very interesting project. Um, and it, wh why do I care uh, from a workforce perspective? I go back to one of the chapters, which is the, the way to look at how skills would change is to find the innovation leaders and see what they're doing, see how that technology is affecting workflow and therefore the workflow would shift the skill set, right? So if I could have some insight into like, okay, if care is gonna to move to the home and vehicles are being deployed, what is the workforce and how would they need to be trained that provisions that care in the home or in the vehicle. And so these are, that opens up a whole world of just being able to, to think about the future of care. This is another area that Shannon and I talk about a lot more recently past the book is that for organizations to have catalysts, it allows them to be looking around corners. And that's exactly what I, I hear you saying when you say, you know, like what's going on in innovation, tapping into the trends, tapping into the experts around the world to help you be seeing around those corners, which is so inspiring how lucky they are to have you at the helm to be doing this, right? Not every CEO is a catalyst. I, I'm very lucky to have the uh, gift of this opportunity. So what would you say are some of the kind of key learnings that have been emerging for you across the, you know, the last couple of years since we've gotten to connect in all of these challenges that you've been hitting head on? Are you talking about in the healthcare world or are you talking about as a catalyst? Learning more, more in the healthcare world, right? Like what's, but you, but you can, if you have something you want to share with us in terms of being the catalyst growth, we're, we're happy to hear that too. It's more about, we were, you know, curious about the, um, how you're navigating, right? Mm -hmm. The challenges that are present for you. Well, it's not surprising for you that uh, first and foremost on everybody's mind, every leader of every healthcare employer is the workforce issue. I mean, the pandemic has just wreaked havoc on their workforce. Um, so I, I think it's a good time uh, for them to actually employ a bunch of the sort of the learnings that have accumulated along the way. And I feel so fortunate. And this was, this was my purpose. You know, if, if you can, if you're able to repeat repeatedly find success in solving a problem, then could you actually decode it for, for, for others? And I find myself in this stage of life where I wanna decode it for others so that others can take advantage of the playbook. And so in healthcare right now, everybody's wrestling with the workforce issue. And um, you know, my question to myself is also, how do you magnify impact, right? How do you enable others to do it as well? 
it, you're just hitting me every every turn of this conversation. So it's not just for you, the key learning about solving this problem that has emerged, but it's finding that pattern, the decoding. So how you're solving that problem can be as much of use to people as they tackle other problems that may be similar or different. I, I tackle some very ornery problems. Yeah. But what is interesting is the way that I've designed a solution What's it? Uh, I, I will hear people say, well, I've, you know, we thought about that and we thought about that and we thought about that. And, and, and so I think it's really important as, as a catalyst to, to figure out the design, right? And yeah. it's really some brilliant idea nobody's ever thought. It's, it's being able to combine certain nuggets together to, to, to figure out a path forward that, is, that can be executed. Right. It's not that people didn't have good ideas. It's like they had good ideas, but you couldn't figure out the path forward. And usually the path forward is not because it's only your DNA in that idea. Yeah. It, it needs to have the DNA of some major stakeholders who need whose voices need to be heard or it needs to inform the design or else the, the, the path doesn't clear for you to go forward with this idea. What my my brain just sees this visual of like here's the problem Vaughn's looking at, here's the system Vaughn recognizes that that problem sits in, and then here's the system that that system sits in, and that's you know kind of some sense making of how to to tackle the problem has to happen at all levels, and then leaving people with that as you said code of like this is how you tackle it, it's just beautiful. Well, it sounds easy talking about it, but I, I can tell you even my transition that when I learned to do that sort of well and the first time was at PG&E where I did workforce development first time in, in my life, right? Um, and I came up with a, a playbook. I knew how to do it, but dang, then I was required to go enlist other divisions, right? And I thought as a catalyst, my gosh, it's so much work. I already know the answer. It's like, why do I have to go and list all these others? And what I learned, and, and maybe it was also a function of resources because I didn't have many resources. And so I had to actually figure out how to tap into the, the wants and desires of others and design to include their wants and desires into the solution um, so that they would then unlock their resources. But that allowed me practicing that allowed me to learn how to move systems. And once you can actually unlock system, it's formidable. I mean, it's hard to stop because there's so it's such momentum, but it's it's hard just to lift the momentum. That's that's the toughest part for catalyst, I would imagine. Brilliance in, in every piece. I no matter how long I get to study and work with catalysts, I learn something every time I sit down with Yvonne. So thank you for for all those gifts. I know that Shannon has a few rapid fire questions for you. Yes, I do. But I just I have to comment too. I learn something every time we talk, Vaughn, and I'm so grateful to the Catalyst community that you did decode it and put it into your book, which everyone should buy. I mean, it's you know you have the workforce formula, but there's so much more for all types of problem solving there. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and for that constant commitment to bring the catalyst up behind you. Let's and, and one of the things that you talk about in the last one is your openness to feedback. So I hope that people are likewise listening to this and saying, how 
can I ingest this and, and help my own change making and learn from the wisdom that, that Vaughn brings to the table. All right, now the fun part in two minutes or less, what actionable nuggets of advice do you have for catalysts out there? Maybe something that you'd wish you'd known when you were 20. Oh, I wish I'd known when I was 20. Um, you know, something I love to do is actually connect the dots between di different ideas. And sometimes I just hold an idea or hold something that I've heard for a long time until the window opens up uh, rather than having to run with it immediately because you have to wait for the window uh, for the right moment where that idea is relevant and is, is, uh, is helpful. And how do you know when the window is open? That's such a tough question for most catalysts. Well, uh, sequencing is important, right? I mean, us catalog catalysts, we, we would love to have everything done at once, but I, I've also noticed that in the change management process, you, you have to cascade kind of one by one because not everybody else is catalytic. That's right. And it can be, uh, they can get fluxum quite easily. So simple messaging, right? So first you, you lay out the simple messaging and then what's the first step? What's the second step, right? Now explaining step 10 when they're trying to get a whole or uh, uh, the audience trying to get an understanding step one is not helpful, right? So you, you begin to create chaos. And, and I do that too. I mean, I have to rein myself in all the time, but um, um, sequencing, I think it is very important because it has to do with how do you take something, you know, to the, the end goal. That's right. And it's like the, the slowing down to move faster in the end, which can be really hard for us. But I think that's the pivotal lesson. And that's sort of the, the lead into the name of our book. Um, so drafting off of that as you as an executive, what advice do you have for executives in finding or leveraging their catalysts? You know, I found that the thing, um, when I reflect back on those moments and times in my career where, you know, I was able to do extraordinary things as an, as an ordinary person. It is when all of my strengths align. I love the strength finder battery, which is really fast. You know, it's just like 20 minutes. What are the top five strengths? I noticed that in roles where I'm using the top few strengths of mine, and, and again, the context is rather than trying to, to have someone remediate and remediate, yeah. remediate a skill set, match the project or the scope with what they're good at. And when you do that, then it unlocks a strength. So I, I, I think, so I, I've used that philosophy as well. How do I design the project or how design the role to activate uh, their strength? Um, and I think there's an important note in there that we haven't really, we don't talk a lot about is like not all catalysts show up with the same you know, the, the same strengths. I mean, it's like, yeah, broadly speaking, we have these catalyst sort of characteristics in, in common, but, um, you know, when people are thinking about tapping the different catalysts in their organization, to your point, recognizing which unique strengths those, those catalysts are bringing. Do you have a sense of how many catalysts make a good organization for you or team for you? <laughs> it just depends. I, I love as many catalysts as, as um, you know, want to come along. And, and you know, I say we, we go only as far as the talent, right? So, yeah. um, and, and then structuring it for, for, for the, the individual. I mean, let me, let me give you an example. Um, some catalysts are really good at the relationship building, right? Exactly. So is the role leveraging the relationship building, their natural wooers? Or if you put them into like a data crunching, type of role, then you have a mismatch. On the other hand, somebody who's highly detailed, they may not want to go do 
a, a, a role that where it's, you know, you're doing a lot of speeches, you're, you know, uh, rah rahing uh, the troops. So again, it's, it's sort of matching people's strengths with the uh, and capacity with with um, with what the need is. Totally. What is the worst part of being a catalyst for you? Mm. I, I I think it's really hard. Um, there was a moment in time in my career where I just didn't understand, like, if that person, if there's a person in the organization who's not like in my direct chain of command or is not specifically relevant to my work, why do I have to spend time with that individual? It seems so inefficient, <laughs> right? And again, this your concept, and I remember my CEO boss actually said the same thing. It's like, sometimes you have to go slow in order to go fast. It's the relationship building is important. Um, and spending the time so that people know, feel there's a trusting relationship so that when, when you have to move fast, you know, you're, you're drawing down on the, the goodwill um, that you've established. And it, this is a hard, was a very hard concept for me to understand. And once I started valuing relationships, mm-hmm. uh, spending the time on relationship, developing it. Um, and then I think I, in some other, your, your CAS conference, I talked about, you know, how it is that you then, you should actively go look for who are the go-to people who get things done in organization like find the first 200, you know, just keep asking the next person, ask the next person. And so like in my, when I started a new job, you know, in the first three months, I met with like 200 people and it helped me navigate the organization to get things done. Yeah, we talk a lot about the emotional labor of being a catalyst and how draining that can be for us because it feels like it can be slowing us down from making the progress. But I think it's like the reframing about how if you don't rejuvenate, you can't be successful. If you don't invest in that emotional labor and and all of those connections, you can't be successful. And you are a master at that. Okay, finally, what's the best part about being a catalyst? Mm, uh, uh, There was a the longest standing chancellor in the community college system, she wrote me a really nice letter when I was departing. And she said the, the line that I love was she said, to see the moment when it was a twinkle in, in my eye, she saw the twinkle and then years, you know, years have passed and then these things became real. So what I have loved and I think um, others appreciate is that I've done it over and over again, but it's it's like, it was just an idea two years ago. There was nothing, no paper, no nothing, even on it, right? It was an idea. And so to be able to take an idea to forming a company that's working with 5,000 students or to take um, a company that had no idea what to do in workforce development to becoming an industry rec- nationally recognized best practice, right? Or to, to uh, take a system of community colleges that thought it was doing good but wasn't recognized for it and how to unite that system so that the um, it was valued and therefore public funding would increase from 100 million to a billion i think all those are just concepts in my mind um and i think that's the beauty of, of what catalyst can offer you know going from concepts to full execution It's so inspirational, which is why I love talking to you. Um, Like, you know, just the humility of it was just an idea. And I took the steps and it became this reality. But the scale of your impact, Vaughn, is so inspiring. Um, And I hear in you just like the purpose and impact and the positive change that you're creating becomes its own self-sustaining source. So um, finally, do you have a call to action that you'd like to share with, with our Catalyst audience? 
Oh, I, you know, I mentioned decoding um, what I've managed, you know, the lessons learned to others. And so I would so appreciate the help of other catalysts to uh, pass along word that there's a book that solves workforce problem, especially in unsettled times. And it's called Workforce Rx. You can find it on Amazon or wherever uh, you buy your books. Uh, I would love their help in just getting the word out. Um, yeah, we got to, we were so honored to be part of your book launch. Reading the book was so fantastic. And also just the personal insights that you share, because it's not just about our work identities. It's how we came into this world that, you know, helped us be these, these powerful change agents. Bon, thank you so much for your time. It's always such a fantastic conversation. If you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at www.catalystconstellations.com. Be sure to check out our book if you haven't already, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out. And if you have other catalysts in your life, be sure to hit the share button, send a link their way, and tell them about Vaughn's book. Thanks again, Vaughn. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Tracy.